All right, creatures of the night and all you loyal members of the PSK, the Pod Street crew out there. This is Alex Doria, one half of the Talking Taker podcast, welcoming you to another classic episode of Talking Taker that we are bringing back from the dead here at the top of your podcast feed. That's right, this is one from way back in the archives, and since we aren't putting out new episodes weekly anymore, uh, we've been trying to highlight some of these older episodes. And remind all you listeners, whether you're old or new, that uh, there's over 200 episodes of Talking Taker back in the archives, totally free, available here on all your favorite podcast feeds for you to listen to. Uh, And they age really well. They're great to go back and listen to, uh, to relive some of your favorite pay-per-views, favorite Undertaker matches for anniversaries or other special moments. But I usually select them here as a bit of a preview for what we're doing for our brand new episode. Uh, you know, those new episodes that come out on the first of every month. So, of course, we've got one coming out here on May 1st. And on May 1st, we're going to be covering two sort of missing pieces uh, in our back catalog. Uh, they're two kind of major Undertaker moments that weren't quite, uh, didn't quite fit in our, you know, our, our journey of doing every Undertaker pay-per-view match that we originally started. But here we are now uh, in this new era of the podcast. Uh, it felt like it made sense to go back and cover these, especially because it is 25 years uh, now since both of these occurred. One of them is going to be Over the Edge, 1998, which uh, you Undertaker fans will know. He did not have a match on that pay-per-view, but he was involved in the main event as the special guest enforcer outside the ring for Stone Cold versus Dude Love, and he played a very important role there. I believe it's the only time he ever served as an enforcer or as a referee in any type of role like that. But, uh, man, this is a classic match. One of the best Attitude Era matches. One of the best, uh, what you would call, sports entertainment. Pure sports entertainment. So much storytelling, character work, uh, comedy. uh, Just great storytelling that goes on throughout this match. Quite frankly, it's one of my probably top five matches of all time. One of my favorites to go back and rewatch. So it was an excuse for me and Travis to do that. But Undertaker definitely plays a significant role in that. But we're also going to talk about Mayhem in Manchester, which was not a pay-per-view, which is why we didn't do a full episode for it back in the day. Uh, But it was a VHS release uh, right there in the peak of the Attitude Era of a UK house show that uh, took place right after WrestleMania 14 and features Undertaker versus Kane in the main event. And uh, to be frank, it's not much of a match, uh, but it's definitely one I think a lot of people remember. A lot of people definitely had this tape back in the day. It's weirdly not on Peacock. It was never on the WWE Network. But uh, we've got a copy of it. Uh, I actually purchased the VHS off eBay and watched it on my VCR earlier this week. But you can find it in other methods. You can find it on Daily Motion and uh, other streaming services as well video sharing services that is uh but we're going to talk about that and since we're talking about that uk moment i thought we would cover uh for back from the dead we would cover the undertaker in his first uk exclusive pay-per-view appearance of course uh he appeared at the uk pay-per-view SummerSlam 92 but this was the first wwf uk exclusive pay-per-view uh one night only This was originally episode 41 of Talking Taker from uh, 2018, Uh, but uh, we're going to revisit it here. One night only features The Undertaker versus Bret Hart for the WWF Championship in a fantastic match. I mean, maybe their best match? I thought it was maybe better than their SummerSlam match. Uh, The finish was weak. (laughs) That's one of the things I definitely remember about this horrible finish. I think that's the only thing that brings it down and puts SummerSlam 97 over it. But a really fun match. If you've never seen it before, definitely go out of your way to check that one out. Sort of a lost classic. And uh, we always had a great time discussing these UK pay-per-views because most of the time Travis and I had never seen them. So it was uh, like a hidden gem from the classic era of Undertaker that we got to go back and see. A lot of times there were really fun matches, especially this one. And uh, another thing that we cover on this episode was there was a pay-per-view special 
Uh, a lot of people may not have heard of this, but it was called the Fab Four of the WWE. It aired exclusively in the UK uh, with these in-depth, sort of almost podcasts, sort of uh, breaking the fourth wall, breaking kayfabe before that was cool uh, a little bit. Uh, uh, interviews with, I think it was Undertaker, Bret Hart, British Bulldog, and I don't remember the fourth. I can't remember if it was Stone Cold or Shawn Michaels or something like that, but it covered four big superstars with these interviews with Jim Ross. So we covered the Undertaker segment on there, uh, kind of a, uh, a lost piece of Undertaker history. So some good discussion on there. Check that out. Be sure to check out the new episode when it drops on May 1st. Uh, if you missed it, we also did a bonus episode in the month of April. We had Randy Turco on the show uh, to um, highlight a couple of matches covering The Undertaker's greatest haircuts of all time. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but uh, it's because we're back again sponsored by Manscaped this month. That's right, Manscaped, uh, the leaders in male grooming. We want you to join the 8 million and counting who have ditched their old razors, who have ditched their old sprays and creams and gels and have joined the Manscaped revolution. Bury that stuff in the past. You know, give it a tombstone. Give it the last ride. Toss that stuff out. Move over to Manscaped. Uh, Get the best beard trimmer you will ever purchase, the Beard Hedger. Get the lawnmower that's going to take care of your body hair and your Death Valley region. Uh, You can get all of their great products. I want you to check them out at manscaped.com. And use the code TAKEREASY, T-A-K-E-R-E-A-S-Y, all one word, for 20% off your entire order. So whether you're just ordering a pair of boxer shorts or some of that uh, crop reviver spray that's going to be this great body spray that's going to freshen you up. Or you're ordering the Performance Package 4.0 that's going to get you the weed whacker, the lawn mower, um, all the essentials in there, and this great travel case along with a t-shirt and boxer shorts and everything. Uh, whether you're going the full Monty, whether you just want to give them a tryout, use the code TAKEREASY for 20% off and free shipping. You can't beat that. It's going to be a massive savings for you for, honestly, the best male grooming products you can find on the market today. Code TAKEREASY for 20% off at manscaped.com. So uh, that's why we did an episode with Randy. We appreciate them. They've been awesome to us. They're great sponsors. We'd love if you check them out. But for now, we want you to check out this classic episode of Talking Taker. Originally episode 41, One Night Only from the UK, Undertaker versus Bret Hart. Enjoy our coverage of it and take her easy. Jolly ho, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of Talking Taker, our encyclopedic exploration, digging up the career of the dead man. My name is Alex Dorio, and I'm terrible at accents. <laughs> I am one of your hosts and co-hosts of this journey. I am joined, as always, by my tag team partner, my fellow creature of the night, my partner in dead man talking, Travis White. Travis! You uh, you sound like you're from London, mate. <laughs> you sound like you're from London, mate. Oh, I love that part. Oh, you went Australian for a second there. <laughs> Hello, governor. It's all the same, right? Same queen, same prime <laughs> well, minister. I don't know. I don't know. At one point, Australia. They were they were a colony. Oh well, yeah, they were yeah. A British colony. Yeah, way back when. Well, this is uh, episode number forty-one of our encyclopedic exploration, and of course. It's a great Dave Matthews song, and we've got a great match coming up to go along with that, apropos of nothing regarding Dave Matthews, but there you go. I did mention, <laughs> we mentioned Dave Matthews in our last episode. One of your, we did. One of your favorite middle school bands. Former, yeah, yeah, absolutely, former favorites. So, anyway, he was good while it lasted, so, kind of like Undertaker's championship run. True. It's come to an end, but here we go, we get his rematch here. We are talking, of course, about One Night Only, 1997, September 1997, one of the very first, I believe actually the very first, Mm -hmm. UK exclusive pay-per-view where The Undertaker is going to challenge Bret Hart in his rematch for the WWF Championship in a match that I'm going to guess that a lot of you listening out there have probably never seen before. I don't think I had ever seen it before today. Maybe one time randomly in the past I might have seen it. 
Uh, Travis, I know you said you had not seen this one before no. we're covering it for the show. And it really doesn't fit into the storyline progression so much of the story that we're telling, but it is a pay-per-view match, and uh, it's quite the match as well. It's a, it's a heck of a match to watch, so we're kind of doing this one as sort of a bonus episode, uh, if you will, just an, an additional episode, something to... Uh, Something to add on to to our discussion before we jump into quite the legendary match next week as we talk about Hell in the Cell. But uh, it's an important match uh, because of the, obviously, the importance of being the first ever UK-only pay-per-view. And there is some cool stuff to talk about, so we thought we would throw it in there uh, along our, you know, encyclopedic exploration. Well, yeah. I mean, we, you know, when we started this, we said we're going to go through every pay-per-view match and... I know we skipped a couple of the first initial Royal Rumbles when Taker was just in them, but, you know, we kind of reconvened and said, you know, we're going to do an every pay-per-view, and this technically is a pay-per-view. Uh, it kind of, like you said, it kind of disrupts the story that's been going on and been told, but it's a little bit of a story. <laughs> no build-up on television that will, as we'll try to recap things here, there's no build-up on TV at all. But um, Right, and but, we will circle back around on next week's episode uh, because there are... Between uh, Ground Zero, which we covered last week, and this one night only show, there are two episodes of Raw. Right. But it, all of that, they don't, they really don't mention this matchup at all. It's all building up to In Your House Bad Blood. So we're going to cover all that on next week's episode because it all ties in with that match and not so much this match. Right. Absolutely. Cause, yeah, this one has no build on TV, but yeah, we'll cover all that stuff because that's, that's part of the... That those two episodes of Raw are telling that story toward Bad Blood, um, Hell in a Cell, and yeah, we'll get back to those. So those of you listening, don't worry about that. We will hit those because we're just going in chronological order though here. But this is an interesting night. Um, like you said, I, I was reading in some of the um, – I don't remember if it was the Observer re- recaps or PW Torch or something. But it was saying that this was kind of what led to um, how we get um, WWE going over there twice a year now. Um I just found that out this afternoon. I don't know. That was speculation. Meltzer or Keller, I can't remember. But anyway, they kind of started this deal with Sky Sports, um, did a pay-per-view here, UK-only exclusive, and then this is the reason. I think uh, as we are taping this, Raw is in – or the Raw brand is over in England. So um, anyway, that's how we came to to know that WWE goes over there twice a year now, usually in the spring and once in the fall. So That's cool. So this jumped off of that, and they are – they're yeah. all – they're all fun shows. I mean, the, yeah. I think they're all available on the WWE Network. Usually, uh, they did Rebellion. They did uh, Insurrection. Insurrection. Mm-hmm. Mayhem in Manchester. I think they did once or twice. And they're all pretty fun shows. And, and this one included. It has some unique matchups on there. There's a <laughs> there's a Patriot versus Flash Funk matchup in the middle of the show for <laughs> for no real reason. Uh, there's of course the main event of the show. That's the what this pay-per-view is famous for Shawn Michaels versus British Bulldog for the European championship in an incredible match and yeah. a really, really heated match and a really, really heated finish of course, where Shawn Michaels beats British Bulldog in his home country in front of like, I can't remember. It's like his dying cousin or, or sister his or something like that. Sister or sister-in-law is dying of cancer. He yeah. dedicates the match to her and, Everything just so. wild, wild stuff. Yeah, and weird. Uh, most of you, if you've seen a match from this show, you've probably seen that one, and it's a great one. It's worth going out of your way to see. But this one that we're going to cover tonight, kind of a hidden gem. Yeah, I was really entertained. It was a really good match. Um, I've uh, I, I believe in Brett's autobiography. Um, what was that one called? It was like nine thousand pages. I think it's just called Hitman, or maybe Hitman. just yeah. Bret Hart, something oh. like that. But yeah, oh man, it's one of the best wrestling books out there. But it's it's huge. Yeah, he says in that book that this is his last great WWF match. Mm. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, He's probably uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Because imagine if if Montreal would have gone. What I, I think. He said in an interview last year that that was supposed to go for like another 15, 20 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. So that match probably would have been it, but this was this was probably his last greatest match. I, I would agree. And he's it was kinda, a good match. Yeah, he's kind of hurt uh, for the October pay-per-view. He ends up having to work a tag match yeah. for that one. So, yeah, this he's, he's probably right about that. Yeah. And uh, allegedly it was scheduled to be Brett versus Austin, but we know 
that botched um, Tombstone Piledriver from Owen back at SummerSlam, kind of reshuffled those plans. So that makes um, sense. It, yeah, we get Brett versus um, Undertaker here with really, like we said, no build up on TV um, at all. But um, anyway, but you mentioned something before uh, we get to this show. You mentioned something that they uh, maybe two episodes ago that there was this WWF special on Sky Sports that's called the Fab Four. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I had never heard of it until we started doing this podcast, but uh, it started coming up on YouTube when I was searching for clips for uh, what we put on our social media pages, at Talking Taker, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that good stuff. Uh, we try to put up fun clips leading up to each episode, some of the most uh, memorable, important stuff, and some rare stuff uh, we try to put up on there. And I, I started seeing this Fab Four interview with Undertaker, and it, it's framed sort of like a shoot interview or maybe like a DVD interview that we would see in later years that, that where they kind of break kayfabe a little bit with Jim Ross hosting and interviewing The Undertaker. So I did a little research on it, and apparently these aired as sort of a pay-per-view special, I guess, or maybe on one of the sports channels there in the U.K. with feature-length, I think hour-long interviews with Undertaker, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and the British Bulldog. Uh, They're all kind of, you know... In 1997, they didn't really go quite in-depth on these behind-the-scenes interviews that they do nowadays, like on the network, where yeah. everything is completely... completely K-Fabe is dead. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. K-Fabe's alive at this, during this interview, but it, it's, it's like in the gray, a gray area in the middle. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really cool. And it's available on DVD in the UK, uh, not in the US, but you can find it, and, and we've got it posted on our social media this week. You can find it fairly easily. The Undertaker ones, at least. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if if you can find the other ones. Uh, I wasn't able to find the other ones. I was only able to find the Undertaker one, really. But uh, there's a lot of cool stuff in here, and they kind of spend an hour basically going through his entire WWF career up to that point, even so much as uh, talking about his debut with Brother Love and talking <laughs> about their connection with Brother Love uh, as well. So they're, they're trying to sort of retcon and explain uh, all of The Undertaker's history. They dive into Brother Love, they dive into the meaning of the urn, uh, his connection with Paul Bearer, all this really cool stuff, man. I mean, w- was there anything like in particular that uh, jumped out to you in this interview? Well, it was obviously filmed before SummerSlam because he has a title in front of him. Right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was cool because, like I said, it's kind of kayfabe, kind of, you know, peek behind the curtain because, you know, Jim Ross asked him, you know, hey, Brother Love, how did he come to be, you know, bring you into the World Wrestling Federation? Like, oh, well, he just kind of a stand-in for Paul Bearer <laughs> uh, before his arrangements could be made to get into the World Wrestling Federation. So I just, I don't know, it was kind of neat. Like, it's kind of, like, I wonder if they if jr fed taker these lines beforehand or not i knew the questions because honestly i don't it didn't appear that he did because you could see taker like the wheels were turning in his head yes yes his answer but he never like he never said he never waited and like he just had an answer immediately and i guess i don't know i guess his story is all uh is it all canon is it go back to like his backstory or not i guess I <laughs> uh yeah he, he says <laughs> That Brother Love was uh, not able to join him right away. It was pretty funny, um, which, just to sidetrack for a second, uh, I guess it's a couple weeks ago now that we're recording this, but uh, did you listen to the Brother Brother Love Love episode of Something to Wrestle? Did you catch that story where he's talking in 1996 about how when the Ultimate Warrior came back, Bruce Prichard said that he wanted to be in the crowd as somebody that Ultimate Warrior would pick up out of the crowd and train in his warrior university or whatever and then he'd get him into great shape and then he would reveal himself to be brother love and then turn bring the undertaker in and turn the undertaker heel in 1996 to feud with undertaker i'd never heard that before no me neither that would have been cool (laughs) that sounded awesome yeah it really did so well you said they kind of go here in this breakdown his whole career in an hour you know or 48 minutes whatever it is they talk about you know, oh, and now I will say this: Jr. As much as I love him, he makes several inaccurate statements yes. here. He says, um, you know, "Your first pay per view event was WrestleMania um, when you faced Jimmy Snuka." Fault. Wrong. His first pay-per-view was his debut at Survivor Series. Right. Donnie. So anyway, but yeah, and Taker comes back. Yep. Yeah, well, you know, to 
I wanted to make a mark in the World Wrestling Federation, so I had to take down a legend like Jimmy Snook. And they uh, have some selective editing in there, too. Like, they <laughs> show uh, his first world title win at Survivor Series, and they make it look like Undertaker just beat Hulk Hogan. They completely edit Ric Flair out of that clip and Ric Flair using the chair in there. Uh, so it's interesting. They're kind of writing some people out and they're also burying some people too. They, they bury Hulk Hogan pretty yeah. hard. Uh, Undertaker says, what was your experiences like competing against Hulk Hogan? Well, at that time, Hulk Hogan was, uh, the top of his game. He was, uh, everyone's, idea of uh, everything that was good in America, everything that was good all over the world. And here I am facing the, uh, uh, what he liked to say, the immortal one. Well, we've come to find out that that wasn't true. Yeah, he'll go on to, we can talk in a minute, he buries uh, Kevin Nash a little bit later on too and some other WCW guys. But uh, I did think it was interesting when they're talking about that first world title win. Um, he said that it upset him losing the title because he could handle defeat because defeat makes him stronger, but he was more upset that he just never got a proper rematch. And he right. ended up having to go into the Royal Rumble that year for the world title, and he wouldn't get another title shot again for another two years after that until he was yeah. uh, facing off against uh, Yokozuna. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. It was, and, you, and that was probably part work, part shoot right. <laughs> answer right there, you sure. know? He probably was a little frustrated that – that never came full circle. He never got to really have that rematch again. So, but um, yeah, it's it's like you said, they edited that Ric Flair interference out of that title win. But then when they show the clip of him losing it back to, to yeah. Hogan, Ric Flair's right there on the outside. Right. So I don't know why they selectively. But that's another flub Jr. has. He's like, you lost it um, four days later or something. He says something wrong, and and then Taker says, I lost it six days or seven days later, which was actually. Six, I think, as we cover here on <laughs> Talking Taker. But then they go on talk about SummerSlam '92, and Jr. calls a, a car that you drive for a funeral a hearst. Like it was interesting to me uh, as we think back at, at your entrance, your entrance in the hearst. Uh, describe that for us. It puts a T on it, and it's called a hearst, man. Um, Forty and slip. Taker doesn't sell it. He's like, yeah, I use, yeah, I use, yeah, exactly. Um, He's like, yeah, I used the hearse to play mind games. You know, this was kind of the start of me, you know, showing my mind games I play with, with uh, my opponents. You know, I had to get Kamala intimidated because I don't care if you're from the, the jungles of Uganda or not. I'm, I'm going to show you that, you know. And he's like, if you see that that uh, car coming down the highway and that's going to be your last ride, you're going to get, you know, psyched out. So anyway, that's kind of kind of cool. But he talks about, you know, the UK fans and how exciting yeah. they are, which is blowing smoke up, you know, the, the fans in UKs. Rear ends, but that's good though. It was cool. Taker's, yeah, he's full babyface in this in this interview. I love it. He so. is, and he he pretty much says that yeah, his feud with Giant Gonzalez kind of sucked. Uh, <laughs> he, Giant Gonzalez was big, but he didn't have any physical or mental abilities. Um, he, Which we said too. Yeah, <laughs> he's uh, yeah. not trying to put that one over. Um, but he also yeah. he, he gives uh, this is one of the coolest parts. He kind of gives an explanation yeah. for his disappearance in the summer of 1994, where he went away after the Royal Rumble and disappeared up into the heavens. Uh, he he <laughs> talks about uh, he basically says that, you know, I have the ability to absorb huge amounts of punishment, but I am just flesh and bone. And there comes a time when you need to feel, uh, heal physically and mentally. Uh, if I don't have the proper edge and the mindset, then I need to step away and line up my soul and my spirit because I'm not just size and uh, athletic ability. But my soul and my spirit have gotten me to where I am, and if they're not right, then I got to get them back in shape. So that that's why he had to go away that year. Yeah, which cool. That <laughs> sounds good to me. <laughs> He's like, oh, so you had to get your focus back. He's like, yes, yeah, it was really cool. I thought that was good. Um, like I said, good kayfabe answer there for what happened, and because um, he was. I, JR's like, what happened? You're gone during the summer. I mean, he was gone for like six months, right? From he was gone from Royal Rumble to SummerSlam. Yeah, right? six, seven months. Yeah. Six or seven months. So it wasn't just the summer. It was most of the winter and the entire spring and half the summer. So um but yeah, they explain that and then they talk about, you know, the underfaker and JR even calls him the underfaker, <laughs> which I thought was was pretty cool. And and uh Undertaker has an interesting line here. He says, Yeah, I don't think the creatures really bought that you know the creatures in right. didn't buy that didn't buy what he was selling so i thought that was kind of neat again they're kind of kayfabe kind of shooting here it's kind of it's really neat little mixture um at a time when you know 
this is beginning of the Attitude Era, so at a time when, you know, kayfabe's still around, but kind of not, so it's a really neat interview here. But then the next part is probably my favorite. I want, I think you have most of this written down, so I'd like for you to tell us what, what, just explain the urn. Right, he he was not shooting on this one. He was going full, <laughs> leaning full into kayfabe here. Oh, yeah. He says, this. I mean, it's a great answer, though. It, sure. it, it explains a lot. Undertaker says, The urn has always been, uh, as a symbol, a constant reminder. Uh, you know, the Undertaker is powered by the, the spirit of, of, of Gladiator's past. That is what the Undertaker is. I am nothing more than a soldier. I was put on this earth... For this body was to harbor the soul of soldiers past. And I believe that truly. My whole existence surrounds is surrounded by that thought. And that urn contained the souls of these warriors and these gladiators and these soldiers that fought for what they thought was right, for, for causes and beliefs. And that urn was always a constant reminder of what I was there to do. I know that this is the sport professional wrestling and this is my vehicle to project my views on things this is what i use to project the views of the undertaker <laughs> so yeah we, wow. we learn what exactly the undertaker is he is a vessel for the spirits of of fallen warriors for justice warriors, <laughs> gladiators and soldiers for justice yeah so let's just take a time out real quick okay does it does it get any more comic book and like you and i both ex- exclaimed from episode one of this uh, one of the main attractions of him is how, as a kid, you love comic books and you see this real comic book character come to life. And that answer right there is the most comic book like thing I've ever heard when it comes to wrestling. That is, again, take yourself back to being a ten year old, eleven year old. That's so cool, right there. You know, now I'm thirty two. I'm like, that's kind of cheesy and hokey. But eleven, that's that's awesome, man. Like, I wish I'd have seen this when I was 11. I'd even bought in The Undertaker probably even more, you know? Yeah, so. I mean, and I miss that stuff. Now, like, I guess yeah. I was trying to think of anything like that, and I guess maybe Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy's stuff sure. is the closest thing we get to that, where he just is he's full-on leaning into playing a character. I, I do, too. Yeah, yeah. it's great. So, but there, there's a secret, ladies and gentlemen, Talking Taker fans. That's the secret revealed. That's what the urn is, what's in the urn. I guess the powder inside was the remnants of those warriors and gladiators. We don't know, but there you go. So. Well, he talks about that in full kayfabe, and then we get a, a turn to reality as they start yeah. talking about <laughs> his feud with Kevin Nash and Diesel, and then JR asks him, asks him a pretty interesting question. Oh, about would you ever consider going down to Atlanta to rekindle that feud? Yeah. yeah. And Undertaker says no. He says, you know, the WWF is my home. I'm home here. I've, you know, I'm on a pedestal here. I made, you know, made my name here. Um, anybody down there has an open invitation to come up here and challenge me. And I don't care if it's one night or you want to sign a long-term contract. It doesn't matter. But anybody down there has an open invitation to come up here and challenge me. So I thought that was really interesting. That's a little, you know, quasi shoot moment there. But yeah, I thought it was a good answer. Yeah, but they brought up something neat too that. You know, this was a one-off, and we mentioned that when we talked about it. Him and Diesel was just a one, one-match thing, you know. And how cool would it have been to actually see them battle for a while? Because I know that in WCW, I love the Giant and Kevin Nash's feud. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, they, they weren't barn burner matches, but seeing two big guys that can actually go, go at it, it's cool. Like we mentioned, Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman from last year. A lot of people love that, you know, seeing two big juggernauts go at it or brought Lester and any big guy. I thought it would have been cool to get some more Diesel and, and, and Taker here. But. I agree. And it seems like Undertaker thought that as well. He really yeah. – uh, he, he he talked uh, fairly highly of Kevin Nash there. Yeah, so Wish they could have fought some more. Yeah. Um, he, he talked very highly of Mankind as well, put over yeah. their feud <laughs> big time, said you know, he, he brought the best out of him and he took him to some really dark places as well. So he spends a good time – Good chunk of time talking about that, and then they kind of end things uh, talking about the betrayal of Paul Bearer and, and their connection, and and how deeply he was hurt by him by by him turn by Paul Bearer turning his back on the Undertaker. I thought it was interesting because he's like he says, you know, I was I didn't see it coming, I was betrayed, but he, he makes one point which kind of needs like you know I think Paul thought I was at the uh, at the on my last leg at the end of my rope. He's like, honestly, he could have just told me I'm looking for somebody else. He's like, it would have been a hard pill to swallow, but 
it, I would have swallowed it. You know, I w- it would have been okay. But I thought that was kind of interesting. He's like, yeah. so the betrayal, it wasn't that he wanted to move on. It was the way in which he did it, which is probably, you know, more of the truth to it. Like, you know, if, if this were a real thing, it, that's probably how he would have really felt in real life. So, I don't know. I thought it was kind of neat. So, But it, but he has a good line. He said, Unfortunately for Paul, he, uh, you know, I taught him everything that he knows about the darkness. And unfortunately for him, I didn't teach him everything that I know. And that, that, God, that's classic, man. I love that line from whatever it's about. I love when people say that. Yes. It's awesome. uh, he also talks about how they, they talk about Cain and this revelation, the secret, how it's worn on the undertaker. And Jr. asks taker, uh, have you ever thought maybe it's just time to retire to the dark side? And yeah. undertaker says, well, yeah, that'd be the easy thing to do to just avoid this secret coming out and to go away. But I feel like it's important to stand up for what I believe in. You know, I, I live with what happened in the past all the time, but I like to take adversity and meet it head on. And now it's given me a mission because before I leave the WWF, I will destroy Paul bearer for what he has done to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, pretty neat stuff, man. Yeah, and, man. It's uh, if you've got forty-five minutes to sit down and, and watch it sometime, I I think it's well worth watching. It's really interesting. Uh, it kind of flew by <laughs> as I was watching yeah, it. Uh, it did. It was. Yeah, it's another thing. Why why is it not on the network? You know, why? Uh, there's yeah. there's so much great footage out there that's just waiting to be put on there. This could be in the the hidden gems section. I'd like to see yeah, all of them. I'd like to see all these guys' interviews. I bet they're yeah, all real interesting. Too. Yeah, because they kind of cap it off with his title win at, at WrestleMania. And um, he says something which I think is kind of a shoot. He says, you know, the fans finally got what they wanted that night, you know. Yeah. He said, and, and I can tell because of the ovation that I got. You know, he says, the fans were excited. And they, and they he said, my creature stood by me this whole time. And they finally got what they wanted that night. And they got the Undertaker winning the title. And, you know, it was a really special night to me. Um and again, at the time of this filming, he still has the championship, so he hasn't lost it to Brett yet. But um, really cool. Yeah, I encourage all you guys. Like I said, we'll probably put a link on there so you guys can see it and stuff. For but sure. Kind of cool. Really cool. But that that's kind of the just something else to talk about before we lead in here in, into one night only. So we just wanted to add that to the show so you guys can, can know about that and go check it out for yourselves. That's right. So let's di- dive into one night only, September 20th, 1997, as – Undertaker takes on Bret Hart for the WWF Championship. Yeah, and um, you know, I we mentioned that, um, or you mentioned that Sean and Bulldog is the main event here um, for the European Championship. So again, it's weird how the WWF title has kind of become second fiddle um, to a, a more ho- high-profile match. But I have a little insight to that. Uh, okay, I was doing some research and I found this clip on YouTube from one of Bret Hart's, like, spoken word shows. Yeah. And it was actually over in the U.K., and it was in 2013, and we'll try to link it. If it if it's not already up on our social media, we'll put it up by the time um, you guys are hearing this. Um, so he's talking about this match. Somebody asked him from the fan, from one of the fans asked him from the audience, and he says, you know, when we got to the arena, Taker and I were wondering, you know, why aren't we promoted on the show? We're not even on the poster. We're not on the advertising. Um they both speculate, according to Brett, they both speculate that Sean and, and Hunter were, you know, digging their dirty little fingers in there and, you know, politicking behind the scenes and, and everything. Um, but, uh, again, and he also says that he rented VHS in North America when it came off to watch the match back. Um, and the match wasn't on there. <laughs> and so I thought that was interesting. So I went online and was Googling images of VHS and Googling some articles. And sure enough, what I found. Correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but from what I found, the initial VHS release had this match, uh, Brett versus Taker, cut from it. I don't know why. Uh, it was only North America. The UK had it, but North America did not have this on. So, I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I, I, be, I believe that to be true, but I, it just doesn't make sense, you know, especially because it's such a good match, too. Yeah. It's the WWF Championship. It's one of the best matches on the show. What? Why not leave it on yeah. there? Uh, why do you need to edit this show down at all? It's it's not like I think the show was less than three hours, so I, I don't know why three, they needed to take anything hours, out probably. of it. 
Yeah, I have no idea. Well, this is also the guy who, in the same sentence, says that he, on this interview clip, says that he and Undertaker were both undefeated in the United Kingdom, which is not true because Brett loses to the Bulldog at SummerSlam '92 in the main event. So I don't know his his recall may be a little off. But again, <laughs> those of you, if any of you had it, listeners, if you had this VHS, tell us if this was left off. I think the DVD when it came out finally had it on there but the vhs uh we'd love to see a copy of that well that would explain why you and i have never seen it and a lot of people probably haven't seen it uh until the wwe network came out and it was available for everybody to see so and it's just crazy man as soon as bret hart wins the championship i mean he's not in the main event anymore either like (laughs) we saw at ground zero and this show and Bad blood, he's not going to be in the main event. It's sort of the same thing Undertaker was dealing with. He was never in the main (laughs) event as he held the title. As soon as he loses the title, then he shoots up to the main event. It's just (laughs) really, really weird time in the WWF, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, we got Vince, JR, and Lawler on commentary. Oh, can you please go ahead and tell our listeners we were both idiots and last week we messed up. (laughs) Yes, here's a correction and omission from last week's episode. We were wondering, uh, as far as the commentary team goes, why JR disappeared at Ground Zero because obviously we both fast-forwarded through the show. We watched the beginning (laughs) and fast-forwarded to get to the main event uh, because we were pressed for time and wanted to record this podcast. And so we were wondering, like, what happened to JR? Why is JR not on commentary anymore? Well, (laughs) of course, we completely forgot that JR in the middle of Ground Zero ate a Stone Cold Stunner from Stone Cold Steve Austin. (laughs) And I've definitely watched the pay-per-view before. I remember that moment as Steve Austin is going through stunnering a new person on the roster or or a new official seemingly every episode. And it just totally slipped my mind and your mind as well as we were watching that. So uh, sorry for us sounding dumb. We should have known better. We should have remembered that. But that's what we're talking about Undertaker. So we fast forwarded through a lot of the other stuff and uh, just completely whiffed on remembering that, but that is a classic moment. And uh, yeah. So thanks for all the uh, corrections, everybody. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, back to one night only we got Jr. and he's recovered from his uh, Lawler and Vince on commentary here. So um, Undertaker has a little brief promo before the match and it's not very good. It's not one of his best. (laughs) Yeah. But he says, you know, basically you got one night only to prove you should be the champion and you got no Shawn Michaels this time to help you out like last time you beat me. And, and then he goes on and say, like, I'm going to expose you as the demon that you are. I right. just, it got very Bray Wyatt-ish and I don't know. It kind of, I don't know. It was weird. Well, here's my question for you going into this because he, like he said, he talks about exposing Bret Hart as a demon and that he's not the savior of these people. Uh, who... Who's the heel in this match? Who's the heel well, and who's the face? Oh, yeah, that's a good question because on Raw, we always are told that Brett is a hero in Canada and a hero in Europe and everywhere else in the world he's a hero, but on United States soil, he's the bad guy. And so here in the UK, especially he's he's aligned with British Bulldog, who's a super baby face here. Right. Um, so Brett's a face kind of here. And then Undertaker with that kind of a little bit of a heelish uh, tone in his promo here, kind of a heel. And but he's again, who's going to boo Undertaker at this point in his career? So well, he does get some boos. Yes. Both the guys get some boos yeah. out here. It goes back and forth. It's a really, it, I hate to say it, it's cliche. It really is kind of a bizarro world crowd. Yeah, it is. And they're doing soccer chants and stuff too. Even like during the match, it's it's weird. Um, but yeah, they, it's almost like. Roman Reigns and John Cena walk out, you know, the ah, crowd is yeah. like, yeah. it's like the crowd is yay and boo for both of them at the same time. It's really weird. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's very strange. It is a little strange, but uh, like it is a great match and, and they both work hard. Bret Hart attacks first going into the corner. Uh, Undertaker then just returns the favor. It's, it's, a, it's very much the, uh, the, Standard Undertaker opening to the match. Yeah. A lot of flurry of action into the corner. Undertaker uh, coming on strong. Uh, but Bret Hart does something at the very beginning that plays into the match quite a bit. He undoes the top turnbuckle and, and unties that to expose the turnbuckle, which yeah. just made me think, man, when was the last time anybody did that? Like that used, That's such um, a classic heel move that just just kind of lost nowadays. 
Yeah, I think it's somebody doing a raw a few weeks ago with Bobby Roode, but it wasn't really like the turmoil pad. It was like the covering of the connect. I don't know. It was weird, but yeah, oftentimes you don't ever see that, and it's such a classic thing. We've seen it a lot of times in these Undertaker matches versus whoever he's facing. We've seen somebody expose turmoil because they know he he can take a lot of punishment. Let's try to use something extra to take him down here. So yeah, it's a very uh, lost art. It's it's a lost art in the heel. Uh, Hill regime that we see nowadays on on television. So, oh, I want to say one thing that uh, I forgot to mention that um, Undertaker is sporting a Fu Manchu. He is. Whole, he's got <laughs> it's like it's it's like a goatee, but he shaved two little parts in the bottom. So he's got a Fu Manchu and the skull patch come straight down. This a little bit of a different look there. Uh, I no, I I thought it was different. <laughs> I didn't say anything. I didn't write it down because I wasn't totally sure. But yeah, I thought it was a little bit different looking. Uh, look yeah. good though. He's looking good. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, Brett, um, after undoing the turnbuckle, I guess it takes over for a minute. But Undertaker kind of comes back. Uh, they do. Uh, Undertaker hits the uh, perfect ten landing after a Hitman hits yes. him with a clothesline <laughs> to the outside. And then it, I, I'm not sure if this was a little botch out there. Uh, Bret Hart jumped onto the Undertaker to the outside, and I think Undertaker was supposed to just carry him. And and ram him into the turnbuckle, but he kind of slips and it turns it into a spine buster. Covers for yeah. it, <laughs> but then he picks Bret Hart up again and rams him into the turnbuckle. So yeah, a little sloppy there, but uh, still good so far. There's some of that UK uh, sweat or something a on the jet uh, lag, maybe. Little, yeah, jet lag. Who knows? Um, at this point, they go brawling up the ramp, I think, and Brett gets body slammed on the ramp. And the commentary points out, you know. The ref's being a little lenient with counting out here, which, again, remember that the ref's being lenient here. Yes. Remember that. Yeah. As we get to our finish here. Because they point out the commentary. Oh the ref's being lenient here. It's a championship match. He wants a clear winner. You know, let's. he's being a little lenient with the countouts and DQs. Um, <laughs> so that leads us into uh, them going back into the ring. And Brett does something, which is a clear heel move. He takes Undertaker's eyes and rakes him across the top rope. Mm-hmm. Again, what a lost move, man. Like, I love seeing that move. He's definitely a working heel. Like, that's yeah. the thing. It's, it's a weird dynamic here. He, he, You'd think he'd be working the baby face because they're outside of the U.S., but uh, he gets some booze, too. The, yeah. the fans are, are torn between them. Uh, Brett takes that patented, just full speed Irish whip into the corner that uh, oh, only yeah. he can do, and into the exposed part of the turnbuckle yeah. too. So, uh, really great uh, bump there, and that's kind of telling the story that he's going to be selling that that upper chest area, which he does a great job of. He does, yeah. The chest area, as Vince says. Yeah. So, just say chest, man. It's just his chest. You know, <laughs> to say the chest area, like we know what it is. But then Undertaker. Does a heart punch. Yes. Um, punches him right in the heart, which uh, I found out via some research I did because I was very interested. Because um, I think commentary even says, we haven't seen that from Undertaker. Um, when he was me, Mark Callis, that was his finisher. How about that? I saw some I saw some YouTube clips, man. I did some research, and uh, we can put those up if we want to, too. But, yeah, he used to use the heart punch as a finisher, as me, Mark Callis. So. A little not a little homage to his former self. I so like I don't it. Know if that was intentional or not, but I think it's a really cool little Easter egg for those of us who are nerdy enough to dig back into the background <laughs> and find that kind of crap. So anyway, dude, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Adding that into the arsenal. Uh, yeah. He keeps working that chest area. He does that uh, backbreaker submission that we saw him oh, that yeah. you pointed out uh, a couple weeks ago. He did on Bret Hart in their last match, too. Yep. Um, and yeah, uh, Bret Hart is doing a, a, just a great job. You don't see somebody selling that area of their body very much, but Bret yeah. Hart, you know, Bret Hart's one of the best. He does a great job doing it. Uh, and, uh, he's able to sort of swing the tide a little bit. He starts working on the Undertaker's legs, which has yeah. been his strategy in the other two matches as well. He starts kicking at Undertaker's legs, uh, trying to work them over, trying to, uh, Get him down, uh, take him down to size, down get him the down the ground, chop yeah. down the tree, uh, and then bust out the uh, ring post figure four yet again. On Undertaker. Yep, he does that again. So, um, which again, it's always a cool. I never get tired of seeing that. He could do it. You know what? I wish he'd do it on all four posts in some match. That'd be kind of <laughs> neat if he did that. 
<laughs> oh, that would have been what up, man. Maybe he will. Maybe we'll see. Well, yeah, <laughs> we won't be covering Brett anymore. Actually, this is it. Oh man. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, this is our last. This is the Bret Hart. for Bret Hart, the Bret Hart trilogy. Okay. Yeah, that's it. So this is his swan song with Undertaker here. So we'll never see that again. But well, that'd have been cool if Brett would have done that at some point. Yeah. Maybe he, maybe somebody can show us how he did. But there's a couple hope spots here for both of them. Again, the crowd is just like. Undertaker's, you know, comes back and the crowd's like, yay, and then they're like, boo, and then Bret Hart comes back and they're like, yay, and they're boo. It's just funny to see, like, um, such heat for both sides. So, um, really, really weird, but like you said, um, one, at one point here, Bret kind of gets back on top and he's he does the um, a regular old figure four in the ring yeah. as well, yeah. which we saw that in SummerSlam as well, and he gives, he gives him the double middle fingers again. I don't so, get it, man. I, <laughs> I don't get the the strategy yeah. or the psychology, but uh, it. I mean, it, it. He turns himself heel there because uh, Undertaker yep. reverses over and, and starts to turn the figure four over, and the crowd's chanting "Rest in peace, rest yep. in peace." So he, he's definitely got the crowd behind him. And I don't know if you saw this, but when he turned the figure four over, Bret Hart tapped out. He put one hand on the mat and just tapped like five times. He's just selling, but I mean, it's nowadays that's a clear oh, tap out, and that yeah. wasn't. It was, tap outs were still new at this point. Right. It wasn't fully. I guess they hadn't fully gone over to that being the way that you submitted. It used to be you just like said you'd submit to the referee, but Bret Hart, yeah. he's. He, I guess he's just selling, but he just taps the mat like four or five times. So the ref oh, doesn't wow. count it. Uh, Bret Hart gets to the ropes to break the hold. <laughs> But yep. Undertaker should have won the title there. Kind of got screwed right. over. <laughs> again. Again. So that's funny. I didn't even notice that. So, But, yeah, I just I saw him struggling. I didn't even pay attention to the fact that he was tapping them out. You're right, though. Um, yeah, it would have been a I – mean, remember, like, six or seven years ago when they had this weird thing in WF where, like, you had to – if a, you just – the refs were supposed to call the match as they went, like – if someone accidentally got pinned, that was yeah, it. Yeah. You know, like what if that had been the thing here? And the ref would be like, "Would have won the ding, title." Ding. <laughs> <laughs> That'd have been cool. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, but yeah, bro. Um, some punches and headbutts by Undertaker here, and uh, he misses a big boot, and Brett gets right back on that leg, and great vines the Undertaker's leg, as um, Jr. says, and Undertaker frees himself with an elbow right to the forehead, mm-hmm. um, almost like a UFC style. Well, we see it nowadays with Brock Lesnar, and he makes people bleed with it. So, um, uh, and then he starts. Brett starts the five moves of doom, yep. and uh, I think he hits maybe what three of them, and in between each one's a two count. Um, which again, that's an homage to all of his matches. But both of their last two matches, he's hit the five moves of doom. In between all of them was a, was a sit up or a two count, and he goes for that um, the elbow off the middle rope, and when he does. Uh, Taker gets his boot up here in his face. And so. the crowd boos. Yeah. <laughs> he gets the boot up, and, and the crowd can't decide who yeah. they're for in this one. But yeah. uh, uh, the announcers, on the other hand, I think they did a great job in this match. I really enjoyed the commentary. They did a great job selling the story yeah. of what's happening. Uh, it wasn't – they weren't talking about anything else that was happening on the show. They were talking about this match and the psychology of it, and I appreciated that. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, <clears throat> so right after that, um, we get the double down, you know, double close on, you do the double down, that's what they call it, and you get the crowd the chance to come back. And this, at this point, Vince has a line, <laughs> and I, I literally rewound it seven times to, to write down the word that he said, because it's not even a human word. He says, who had, let me see if I can re- okay. actually mispronounce this correctly. He says, you got to say it in Vince voice, too. Yeah. <laughs> What, like, <laughs> who has the greater recuperative ability? Because he doesn't say it in a mean Vince way. He's like, he's that over the top. Who has the greater recuperative ability? Both men close lining each other at the same time. Both men down. Who has the greater recuperative ability? And I was like, what? Recuperative ability? What does that even mean? That's not a human word. I looked it up. I think what he was trying to say was recuperability. Is that a is, word? Yeah. Who okay. can, who can, who can, Come, who can get their, you know, their faculties together? Who can recoup from this? Who can come back? But he's adds two more syllables in there. It <laughs> must have been on his calendar that morning, you know, the word for the day calendar. We keep saying it. He just miswrote it, I think. Recuperative ability. So I spoke whatever. too soon about the announcers doing a good job. Never mind. <laughs> Take it all back. Job. Great job. 
Great job selling the match. However, selling this brand new English language word. Maybe it's a <laughs> word. I don't know. Oh. Is that one like the characteristics when you're going through Mortal Kombat and you're trying to pick a fighter? Like recuperability. <laughs> I wish. I wish. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Taker, uh, he gets up out of this double clothesline and hits a couple leg drops in between Brett's legs. But on the second one, Brett catches the leg and wraps Undertaker up in a sharpshooter. Yeah. Nice transition there. And the crowd's getting into it, man. Uh, Undertaker pushes out of the sharpshooter just like we saw at SummerSlam. Uh, but Brett goes right after him again. But just like we saw at SummerSlam 2, Undertaker goozles out of it. And yep. the announcers are getting excited here. Vince they is are. like, what a matchup! And Jay Law says, this is the full Monty. <laughs> oh, I hope not. That's yeah, terrible. I hope not too. Yeah. I don't know if I want to see that. I don't want to see the full Monty here. But we know what he means. But yeah, it's cool. The crowd is coming alive at this point. They're They're really cheering for the comeback here taker's got flurry punches and gets his big boot and his leg drop which i've just always found funny that a big boot and a leg drop which <laughs> hulk hogan used to finish people with yeah. and taker just has it as a signature spot so he was just I burying I, hogan the other day <laughs> exactly so um uh gets a two count here uh then brett goes outside and decides to grab the ring bell and he swings that at Undertaker, and as he does, he eats a big boot right in his right in his face. So um, then I believe Taker goes to grab the ring bell, and as he's going to hit Brett with it, the ref snags it. Yeah, he's not being lenient anymore. Why, Why does the ref always take the weapon from the good guy? Exactly. It's not fair. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so, well, anyway. It, unfortunately, that allows Brett Hart to hit a little chop block on Undertaker, take him out, start working the leg again. But... <laughs> Undertaker recovers and boots Bret Hart out of the ring straight onto a camera guy. Like the guy shooting the actual footage, like he gets knocked over and the camera goes uh, sideways. The announcers don't know what just happened. They're like, "What what was that?" Uh, (laughs) I don't think the camera guy knew it was happening either. He didn't see it coming. I had to rewind that like three times to see what happened too, because you don't really, you can't really tell. All of a sudden, Bret's in the ring. All of a sudden. The camera's on the ground. It's just like, <laughs> that was weird. So uh, I think Brett gets thrown into the steps at this point, too, uh, by Undertaker. And uh, um, they get back in the ring, and Undertaker Irish whips him. Um, and Brett, somehow Brett, like, yeah, they're in the ring, and Undertaker throws Brett to the ring post. And somehow Brett falls and slides, like, chest first into the ring post. Yeah, as he's, <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen anyone take a bump like this before, but he, instead of hitting the Irish, instead of taking that Irish whip straight into the corner, he falls onto his side and yeah. wraps himself side. You just have to see it, man. It was, yeah, it's hard to explain, but it looked like it hurt. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. It did. So I guess I was supposed to help work over the chest area type thing. Mm, so man, I don't so. know. But anyway, um, yeah, somehow that happens and they recover and undertaker goes for old school and Brett, doesn't let him hit it. He hits an arm drag, a huge yeah. arm drag off the top rope. It just, to me, it sounded painful. <laughs> There's no way to fake that. So it just, a big old arm drag off the top rope, and then um, a tombstone gets reversed into a roll-up that Brett gets a two-count with, and here comes the finish, though. Uh, I want you to walk us through this. Well, then Brett tries for his own tombstone. Uh, yeah. And I was thinking, well, maybe Owen Hart taught him how to do that one. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that would really take Undertaker out. Exactly. <laughs> You got to sit down instead of land on feet. It really hurts a lot worse. Well, thank goodness. <laughs> really the collarbone in the neck there. Thank goodness Undertaker reversed it. And yeah. uh, as he's reversing it, he kind of flips Bret Hart into the ropes. And yeah. Bret Hart does the old Mick Foley special and gets his head wrapped up into the ropes there. Yeah. Which leads to the referee, Mike Kyoto calling for the disqualification just well, because yeah. Under- well, take- Brett's wrapped in the ropes? He's wrapped in there and Taker punches him a couple times. He doesn't, like, go nuts on him. He hits him a couple times yeah. and then, yeah, the ref's like, ding, 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 and, and the match, what he the calls world? for DQ at, it's 28 minutes, 35 seconds. This is their longest match we've covered, but yeah, for some reason, 
he calls for DQ. He's supposed to be have been lenient this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And why? It's, what is the DQ there for? Yeah. For what? Well, you know what? I wonder if he counted to five. We just couldn't hear it. Like you know, maybe Taker was. But punching he said him he said five count. Well, okay, yeah, because Undertaker gets disqualified. They do right. announce that later on that Bret Hart won by disqualification. So yeah, right. I, that's the that is a. That's the only explanation I guess I could think of, and it's a pretty weak one. It's too. the it's the antithesis of their SummerSlam finale, uh, the finish to that yes. match. That match was a beautiful ending that you know had Pat Patterson's hands all over it. Pat must not have come to England this night. <laughs> no, unfortunately, which sucks because it was. I think this Good. is their best match. Yeah, out of the three so. that we've covered here. I think it's the strongest match. It tells the best story. It's playing off the other matches. They got great chemistry, really weird heat, but great heat all the way through yeah. it. And it's got absolutely the worst finish out of any of these matches. Yeah. Which is a shame. Yeah. If you could combine this match with the finish of SummerSlam, man, that would have been yeah. amazing. So, been amazing. But then after this, Taker's angry just like we are. Yeah. <laughs> he chokeslams Mike Kyoto. And uh, more "quote unquote" officials come out to help Brett out of the ropes, and Undertaker choke slams uh, Gerald Briscoe, who almost dies on this choke slam. Somehow he turns backwards, like he lands on his neck. I don't know. It's he, probably like never neck... taken a choke slam before. <laughs> oh, probably not. Not. From... It didn't do too many aerial maneuvers back in his day, but nah. um, it's a nasty choke slam. But uh, Luthez never gave Gerald Briscoe a choke slam. <laughs> no, no. So, anyway. Yeah, uh, Brett and Owen are able to escape with the title. Owen help, comes out and helps Bret Hart get out of the ropes, and they run away for the title. Undertaker begins to chase after them, uh, but then the ring announcer announces Bret Hart as the winner by disqualification, and Undertaker starts stalking the ring announcer, who's uh, <laughs> the German yeah. ring announcer who's still on TV to this day, Karsten Schaefer. He's still on all the pay-per-views uh, to this day. Yeah, he was the wow. ring announcer for this show for some reason. Wow. But uh, he runs into the crowd away from the Undertaker. Yeah, uh, and that's it, man. Crappy finish, it, but great match. Yeah, and it's weird because I wrote that the crowd at at the at the the finish here and all the the um the officials getting choke slammed and Brett and Owen leaving and the timekeeper, all that stuff. We just recap. The crowd is like at the same time booing everything and also hearing everything. It's really strange. Really it's like. It's a really weird dichotomy that somehow they managed to boo and cheer. Literally everything is happening at the same time. I've never, I can't recall anything like that. It's really strange. Um, you know, there was fun. This was a fun match. It's the longest one out of their three, but it felt like the fastest to me. It, yeah, it went by really smoothly. It's really enjoyable. It's worth going out of your way to watch this one for sure. Uh, even though the finish sucks, just remember that going into it. You know, uh, Travis, I think there might have even been back then. There might have been a lot of fans driving home in the wrong direction, upset after the ending <laughs> of this match, or maybe after this show. They they might have been so upset they drove on the wrong side of the road, or well, would have been the right either. side. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Hard they they would have driven home on the right side on the road, which would have been not the <laughs> correct side, but the right side, like we drive over here. Yeah, so, the anyway. wrong side, but the right side. Exactly. The left side. Wrong but right. You're right. Yeah. I'm glad we clarified that, Randy. Thank you for telling us that you drove home on the opposite the opposite direction from your house, not the opposite side of the road into oncoming traffic for five miles. I was a little nervous for you. <laughs> oh. As always, we do want to hear from you, though, out there, all you creatures of the night. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Talking Taker and follow along on our journey as we travel down the road to the last ride. Uh, you can pick up a t-shirt as well over at tpublic.com and help support the show. Get that Taker Easy t-shirt. You can also help support the show by sharing the podcast with a friend, tweeting about it, leaving us a rating or comments on your favorite podcasting platform, and let us know what you think. And of course, join us next week as we cover one of the greatest WWF matches of all time, one of the most influential matches of all time, probably the yep. biggest match we've covered up to this point on the show, the very first Hell in a Cell from In Your House 
Bad Blood 1997 as The Undertaker takes on Shawn Michaels. And we also get the debut of Kane. It's going to be so much to talk about. I can't wait till next Friday. Travis. Oh, it's going to be a super-sized episode. We'll try to condense all the build-up and stuff for you because um, we have so much to talk about and catch. And, and speaking of condensing that, I'll just go ahead and say at the end of one night only, Shawn Michaels wins the European title, becomes the very first Grand Slam champion in the history of the WWF. We'll talk briefly about that next week as it builds into Hell in a Cell. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you were there in Birmingham, 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 whichever one it is, if you were there, um, those of you, our mates, and uh, if you're over there, please let us know. We want to know somebody. Um, we do have somebody for, for next week's episode that's going to tell us about his experience at Hell in a Cell. So um, if you were there, please let us know. And other than that, ladies and gentlemen, take her easy. I'm here for a reason. And I will continue to do what I do. And in the course of defending the World Wrestling Federation Championship against whoever, now I have a mission before I leave the World Wrestling Federation. I will destroy Paul Bear for what he's done to me.